Father, we come to you this morning. We're lifting up our concerns and petitions and supplications to you. We're thankful that you are a God who hears and answers and responds. Lord, so we bring these to you. Thank you for doing that. We want to lift up uh, prayers for general health and prayers for specific health, specifically for Tom, and, uh, as well as any others in the room who are going through other health challenges or things like that in life. Father, we pray that you will grant healing, that you will accomplish your redemptive purposes throughout their lives, Lord. Let those, let those sicknesses and illnesses be uh, used in glory to you. So we pray now for our time together, Lord. We pray that we will learn in greater ways what it looks like to bear one another's burdens. Father, help us to come from this room changed and knowing how to put that into practice. Thank you again for this opportunity. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so just a little, little review from last week. Last week we looked at um, the general practice of one anothering. We went through those verses. Hi. Oh, uh, yes. Sorry about that. Um, Anne has a brief announcement here to start us off.
good opportunity since we have you up here in class to take care of some of that. Because as you know, things get outdated pretty quickly. So um, what we'd like to do is, um, starting from the back, um, if a person could step out, I'll be outside with my computer and we can quickly update like your information, take a quick picture, and don't worry, Jesus thinks you look amazing. Don't <laughs> <laughs> be like, oh, I'm terrible today. Jesus loves you. So, yeah. And so if we could do like a tag team when you come out and just tell the next person we can get it done in like five minutes, okay? Still time. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be time in five minutes, not a second more. I'm supposed to love on people, so you can't time people. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Ann. Yeah, so that's part of the way that we help one another is by knowing who we want another. So if we don't know that, it's, <laughs> it's just kind of hard to know. So you're, you're helping us out by helping Ann out, okay? All right, so yeah, last week we looked at um, just a general overview of the biblical one another's right there. And in this in this course, we're going to cover about 13 of those. Uh, we won't have time for all of them, but hopefully it gives you an understanding of, of maybe some of those that we can put into practice. So this week, it's going to be burden-bearing, so one another of burden-bearing. And like I said, um, I like this to be not a lecture, but a discussion. And so if you've got your notes and things, there's lots of discussion questions that we put in there. So I'm looking forward to this opportunity right here. But let's begin by going to Galatians chapter 6. If I could get a volunteer to read verses 1 through uh, 5. And then um, we will have, if I could get someone else to read verses 6 through 10. So we're specifically looking at 1 through 5, but the bigger context of this is going to be important. So anybody 1 through 5? Okay. How about 6 through 10? Thank you. Okay. Brother, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For the want, for he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Okay, thank you. So what we're going to see first is... What does it mean to have a culture of burden-bearing? What do we mean by that when we talk about burden-bearing? I'm sure that you may have some ideas that come to your mind when you hear that. What, what exactly is he talking about by bearing each other's burdens? And we want to we get to all that. So just, just by way of overview is we want to have a culture in our church where members bear the, bear the burdens of others, where they help to restore others struggling with sin. And, and it helps to spread out the load of care. You, know, you, can, you can imagine a place where if one or two or three people had to carry all the load, 
uh, how that would not work very well. And that's not the way God designed the church. So God designed it, as, as you've studied in Ephesians 4 already, so that members are doing the work of the ministry. And that's what burden bearing is about, is enabling all of us to spread out the load and come alongside of each other right there. So that's what we want to look at today, especially verses 1 through 5. Now, verses 1 through 5 are connected with a little bit larger context through verse 10. Verses 6 to 10, those are talking about sowing and reaping to the Spirit, and that's the motivation. So why should we bear each other's burdens? Why should we keep doing good? Well, verses 6 through 10 help to explain that, because you're going to reap good. God's not unfaithful. God will reward you. So if you're not getting noticed right now, if you're not getting any recognition, well, why does it matter? God's the one who's going to see that. So keep doing good, because you will reap in the right season. Uh, but our focus really is on verses 1 through 5 today. So my first um, aim is to do, to do more of a context of this section, and then we'll dive down into, into the specifics of what it means to bear each other's burdens. Now, one thing you'll notice about this is Paul really mixes the individual and the corporate aspects together. So by corporate, I mean the body as a whole. So Paul addresses us as individuals, but he also addresses the body as a whole, and he does it throughout this whole section. It's a little bit challenging to see that maybe, but I think once we work through that, you'll see, and I think that's important because what I want you to see is we have an individual responsibility, but there's also a corporate responsibility, all of us together. So we can't just make it me individually or the church, but there's both of those involved. And you probably have maybe run into that, maybe in your life or someone else's life, um, the argument, well, I don't know why the church doesn't do something about it. Well, I don't know why the church doesn't fix that, or the church, the church, the church. Um, not even in a negative sense always, but maybe you've, you've heard people say, well, um, you know, pastor, I, I brought this person to you. Will you uh, now share the gospel with them? Or, here, I'm bringing you this person. My job is just to get them in church, and, and the church takes care of them from there. Is, is that the way it's supposed to be? Where we just kind of, um, our role is simply to be the, like, the conduit, uh, to just get people to the, the professionals, the, the equipped people? No, that's not how it works. So we want to understand that we have just as much of a role in this as the pastors and elders and everybody else in this process. So if you take a look at verse 1, chapter 6, how does it start off right there? What's he start off with? All right, last week I went through five markers. Oh, look, they got me another pack. We're going to save a lot of time. You're correct, yeah. Some, some translations are going to say brothers, but they'll have a footnote by that um, because that's a plural term. So 6-1. So that's the corporate. And selling is not my spiritual uh, gift, just so you know. So <laughs> don't necessarily go by what you see up here. There's no autocorrect on this, on this board. So 6-1, where he's talking about brothers, that's right, his brothers and sisters. He's addressing the corporate aspect of it, the body as a whole. Now, look at, look at what he says, though. He says, um, if, if anyone, right there, is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, um, 
So he's talking, who is he talking to there? Is he talking to, is he, is he addressing them as a whole or is he focused on the individual aspect of that? That's right, that's right. So if anyone, and he talks about watching right there at the end of verse one, he says, keep watch on yourself. Keep watch on yourself, okay? So there's another part of 6-1. We can call it 6-1-B because it's B is near the end. That's the individual. So we all have a responsibility to keep watch on ourselves. We can't put that on somebody else to do it for us. We have a responsibility there. All right, now we get into verse 2. He says, bear one another's burdens. So is that is that individual or is that corporate? It's corporate, yeah. So in six two, this is everybody. We all have that responsibility. Then if you go to six three through five. Notice how he says, um, if anyone, let each one, each one in verse 5. So he's talking about the individual right there, an individual responsibility. If you look at 6.6, 6, let the one who is taught in the word share all good things with the one who teaches. So there it's corporate. That's addressed to everybody. And then uh, in 6, 7 to 8, whatever one sows, that will he also reap for the one. So again, he's talking in an individual sense right there, reaping and sowing. And then finally, if you look at verses 9 and 10, as we have opportunity, let us do good. So that would be the corporate aspect of it again. So I'm not trying to confuse you. You might be wondering, what does this have to do with burden bearing? But I think you're noticing how Paul often goes from there's, he addresses the corporate aspect, all of us together, and then the individual responsibility. Corporate, individual, corporate, individual, corporate. So it's mixed throughout this. So that helps keep us on track. We all have an individual responsibility when it comes to bearing burdens, but we also do this as a corporate whole, as a group whole. Does that make sense? Okay. So burden bearing happens as a family. That's another way to sum, summarize this. There, there, there's an individual responsibility and then there's a family responsibility in this as well. So he begins by um, chapter six, verse one, by addressing them as brothers and sisters. That would be a familial term, a family term, brothers and sisters. Okay, so we're in relationship with one another as brothers and sisters right there. So our first discussion question is this. 
What's our responsibility to family members look like? Think of being in a family. What's our responsibility toward other people in the family? What, what all does that look like? You can just raise your hand, you can call it out, however you want to do this. To love each other, yeah. Help each other. Mm -hmm. Restore. Uh -huh. Restore, good. Be available to help. Yeah. Keep it Can you unpack that a little more? Let's put that with us. Rejoice with one another, weep with one another, that kind of a thing. church is presented as, as the family so we relate to each other as brothers and sisters and so that means that there's this care that uh, that happens in the family where we treat each other like that so a large um, part of the question of what's what does Paul mean to bear one another's burdens it's really the that's what he's focusing on in verses one to five so we want to flesh that out now what exactly does that mean to bear each other's burdens because when you hear that it can sound pretty general so what are your thoughts on that? What what do you think Paul is referring to when he's talking about bearing each other's burdens? Like what would be included with that? It's not like a it's not a one like how are you doing? And find you know on that path. It's talk with somebody and if they have trouble, you spend the time with them and then later you check on them again, like you continue to carry the load with them so that they're not alone. Mm -hmm. Did you have, did you have a thought in the back? Yeah. 
that's good. Uh, so we go back to verse one. He says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, okay, so that's the context of it. And then he, he, under, he unpacks burden bearing based off of that context right there. Uh, so this could be, um, I think it definitely refers to helping people with any challenge, any struggle in life. That's the implication of it. But his, his first focus is especially those who are caught up in a particular sin. And then from that are further implications. So right there, he says, if anyone's caught up in any transgression right there. Uh, so commentators disagree on whether or not Paul is talking about somebody who is um, overtaken by a sin or discovered in a sin. So he might be talking about somebody who kind of like uh, got themselves trapped in a spider web. Um, they're just overtaken. They're, they're wrapped up in it. Or it could be referring to somebody who uh, got caught in it. Um, but I think either way, uh, I think overtaken seems to fit the context better. So Paul has just um, started this section based on what he said previously with keeping in step with the Spirit, where he goes over the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And so now he comes into chapter 6, and he's talking about if anyone is caught up in any transgression. Okay, so the idea that somebody is ensnared by it, uh, they're wrapped in it. Um, they're struggling. They, they, they can't break free by themselves. And what he's saying is there's a responsibility for the rest of the family to help that person uh, in that particular um, struggle right there. So we all, we all help each other, but what caution does Paul give? What cautions, I should say, does he give? You don't get trapped in the same sin. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that so that you would you would you yourself would not be overtaken in that same thing. Um, have any of you maybe could you relate to that at all? Uh, maybe you've seen that or experienced it yourself. You see somebody struggling in one particular area, and maybe it's not you, but maybe it's somebody else who tries to come alongside and offer assistance, and they end up getting caught in it too. Has anybody seen that play out? I work in addiction and recovery, and a lot of families struggle with loving and mm-hmm. addiction. Yeah, yeah, that's a, a great a great area right there, isn't it? Where this can often happen a lot. Mm-hmm. So the warning is that we, we have there's a caution there, and we'll we'll flesh that out in a little bit right here. Um, but we have a responsibility toward those in the community that have been overtaken by a sin to come alongside of them. And that can be challenging when you kind of think about it, because one, it's how do I even approach this person? What right do I have in all of this? What's that even look like to come alongside of somebody? How am I going to be able to to help them and and come alongside? And and it can be easy to um, maybe let people in that who are struggling like that sort of just be there. not really know what to say or to do and just kind of leave them there. Um, And that's not how the community should be. It should be a place where other people are coming alongside of them. So question, who should respond to those overtaken by a sin? Who should respond? Is Is it just the pastors, the church leaders, or an elite group in the Christian community? Or does every believer share in the responsibility? Let's answer that one first. Who should... Who should respond? 
those of you who are spiritual, so you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's going to be our first, um, one of our first questions is what, what does Paul mean by you who are spiritual? We'll have to look at that. Uh, is Paul referring to an elite category? Is he referring to maybe a higher level? Or does he mean something else by it? So we'll get to that in a moment. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I wondered how much it refers back to the spirit. You who are spiritual. Uh-huh. So what do you think on that first question there? Who should respond to those to help those overtaken by a sin? Who who shares in that responsibility? We all do. Mm -hmm. We all share. Uh-huh. Okay. Would everybody agree with that? Any disagreement? Okay. And if that's true then, what does it look like to help them? this a little bit more what exactly that looks like but that's really good right there so let's get to that first point that was brought up what does Paul mean by you who are spiritual well, that's who that's who he's addressing there's a couple different possibilities for this um, Paul might be referring to a special group among the Galatian Christians he might be referring to the mature Christians those who are more spirit spiritually oriented he could be referring to that, but I think there's several reasons to believe that that's not who he's referring to. Um, I, I believe there's more reasons to believe that he's addressing all the Galatians in this. So here's a couple reasons. Um, first, Paul addresses the Galatians as a whole throughout the whole letter. So in other words, throughout his whole letter, he's not picking different groups to address. He's addressing them as a whole. So it would seem strange that he would get to the end of the letter and now say, oh, by the way, I'm going to make a different category of people to talk about when he hasn't done that before. Uh, secondly, uh, the believers in Galatia have everything they need uh, to help each other entangle in sin. So they've heard the message of the gospel in chapter 3, verses 2 and 5. They've received the promise of the Spirit in chapter 3, verse 14. God has given them the Spirit because they are sons, chapter 4, verse 6. They live by the Spirit, chapter 5, verse 25. What do they do in chapter 5, verse 16? Can anybody tell me? Walk what? by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, yep. And what do they do in verse 18? Led by the Spirit, yep. And what do they do in verse 25? Mm -hmm. Yeah, live or keep in step with the Spirit. So you can see that Paul has addressed these, um, these encouragements, these truths to all the Galatians. He's reminding them that this is true of all of them if they are in Christ. So there's a lot of good reasons to believe then when he's talking about the spiritual ones right here. But he's just reminding them again of what he's already said. Do you remember? You were filled with the Spirit. 
you have all the resources you need through the Holy Spirit, so you're the ones who are able to come alongside of each other. I think there's always the danger that we uh, we either professionalize or that we think that there's more of an elite category of people that should be dealing with this. Who am I? Just normal Christian. Um, I'm not. I'm not the one that should be helping right there. But do we consider that maybe God has put us in their path and put us in relationship with them as one of the ones uh, to be able to do that? So we're not saying that. Uh, Paul is not saying that um, you're doing it all, right? He's not saying that every single part of it is done by you, but he is saying that there's a responsibility that's shared to every member right here. So that would, that would raise the question, well, if this is true, if we all have a responsibility to um, come alongside of, we'll talk about what it looks like to uh, restore um, we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment right here. If we all have that responsibility, then how are we supposed to know who it is that we're, that we're talking about here? I mean, how, how are we supposed to know who the ones are that are caught up in any transition? What are your thoughts on that? I mean, is, is Paul thinking? Yeah, go ahead. something wrong and we'll frequently call it out <laughs> you're not supposed to be doing that well you weren't supposed to do that and if we are family we know what's going on with each other yeah that's great so you see how, how important this is so paul paul starts by talking this is a family family they do get in each other's business right I, I mean, you can say it like that, but there's not this segmented, private kind of a thing where uh, you can't ask me those questions. You, you can't be in my life like that. Uh, no, mind your, you know, mind your own business. It's not like that. Um, but on the other hand, I don't believe that Paul means that, you know, we need to be um, peering through binoculars at other people, wiretapping their phones, um, sneaking up. Um, heard a story about one time of, of a guy in the parking lot he was, uh, at work. He would uh, go up to people's cars during lunch hour to listen to what kind of music they were listening to. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that's not what he's talking about, right? So he's not talking about, like, I have to um, try to try to make up something or try to um, press so deep just to find something that's there. He's, he's really referring to the things that are going to be coming to the surface. Okay, the, the issues, the sins that are really going to be apparent for the rest of the community to see. And he doesn't say exactly what that looks like. He's just talking about if anyone's caught up in any transgression right there. So we have to be careful not to uh, make a category for it like, oh, he's just talking about the big ones right here. He's talking about any transgression. I think if you read um, what he said in chapter 5 about the works of the flesh, those would be some good, good examples of that right there. So it brings us to the next question then. What is the goal of coming alongside of someone caught in sin? What is the goal? Mm -hmm. 
notice that goal. That's very, very important right there. He's talking about restoration. Restore him. So our goal, uh, let, let me ask you a question. What, what would be some wrong goals for coming alongside of somebody caught in sin? Wrong goals. Uh -huh. Avoiding your own sin. Yeah. Validation or intention. Uh-huh. It's easy to, if we're not careful, we can have the wrong goals. Even if we start off with the right goal, um, wrong goals can creep in there. So the goal is to restore that person, to restore them. Uh, that means to put in order something that's out of place. And restoration brings unity. So the goal of one, one of the goals of one another's is unity in the church. Without this one another of burden bearing, we're not going to have unity in the church. It's going to be very, very difficult. So Galatians 6 1, that doesn't give us everything there is to say about how we would restore the person. Okay, so Paul's not unpacking the theology of how you come alongside of somebody to restore them right there. Uh, but he is saying that it, that it should happen. So generally speaking, and, and I'll ask it as a question in just a moment, but um, those closest to the situation would be involved first. Uh, but the main part is that all Christians in the community have some responsibility. So we can't defer and just pass everything on. We all have some responsibility. So this going to, going to restore can include what's commonly known as church discipline. Um, Paul doesn't reserve church discipline for only the formal approach. So I think one of the challenges that, that comes to church discipline is we tend to categorize it in terms of formal and informal. And so when people hear church discipline, uh, they think just of the process of Matthew 18, where... We have people going to the person caught in sin, asking them to repent. If they refuse, bringing on others. If they refuse, it's sold to the church, and then if they still refuse to repent, they're excommunicated. We tend to think of that uh, as church discipline as just this formal process where the leaders are involved. But Paul doesn't break up ministry into the formal and the informal. And I don't think we should break up church discipline into the formal and informal either right here. Um, so all of the one another's, I guess I'm, what I'm saying is, um, they're just, it's, it's just as important. There's, they're not any less important than uh, church leaders doing it. So we as individuals, when we're doing this in God's community, our role is just as important as the leader of the church doing this. So the way we want to handle it should be carefully, biblically, thoughtfully, um, so that we do it well too. Okay, so that would lead to the question, how do Christians restore one another? How do Christians restore one another? What do you think that looks like? Compassion? Compassion? That's, yeah. Prayer? Prayer? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yep. Mm -hmm. 
humility, yep. Yep. It has to be genuine. Mm-hmm. So today we're not, that's a very good point, I agree with that. We're not today necessarily looking at the, the process of how to confront somebody caught up in a sin. Um, we'll get to that later on in another lesson, but we're more looking just in a general sense of how we go about the process of restoration. And I love how you really brought out the attitude, the spirit, the heart behind that. Those are all very, very true things. So, I mean, some of the points that, that you brought out were confronting sin. So don't pretending like don't pretend like it's not there. Don't overlook it. Don't ignore it. Um, encourage repentance and point to Jesus. And just as you mentioned, it's coming alongside of the person, not standing above them to, to look down on them. And that's really the spirit that Paul's writing Galatians chapter six. When you're talking about the burden bearing, it's the idea that we're going to see of coming alongside of somebody as opposed to uh, standing over top of them, looking down on them. So that would raise the question then, why is it necessary to go in a spirit of gentleness? Because Paul, Paul notes that. He doesn't just say, uh, restore that person, but he adds there, in a spirit of gentleness. So why, what does that mean, and why is that important? Yeah, love, love and not crush, feel like them, uh, let them feel like they can share and talk. Uh -huh. I was thinking the verse, it says kindness that leads to repentance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It makes it, repentance is more likely when it's accompanied by gentleness and kindness than mm -hmm. judgment and harshness. Mm -hmm. Have you ever had, have any of you ever had a, someone approach you um, to correct you for something and just maybe the spirit and the way it was done uh, wasn't like that? <coughs> How did you want to respond to that? Did it make you, oh yeah, absolutely, let me change, I'm sorry. Defensive, yeah. yeah. So the, the way in which we go does matter. building a, you know, a rapport with her, and then he very gently brings her sin to the surface, right? He's like, oh, you're, you're right. What you say is true. You don't have, uh, you know, you have five, you know, and, and he wasn't, he didn't attack her. He didn't be like, hey, you're a horrible human being. You, 
did my walk right, mm -hmm. he was very gentle with her and, and brought that sin to the surface. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the situation, um, if you think about it, the urgency of the situation or the the matters of the situation can change that in a sense. But Jesus himself, I think we would agree, would be the most gentle person who ever lived. And there were times when Jesus, the woman at the well, that's a great example. And then you have times where the Pharisees, and it, you know, it can be easy to think, well, I don't know how Jesus was very gentle uh, when he calls them a brood of vipers, <laughs> when he calls them whitewashed tombs. I, I, don't, I don't know about that, but, but we know that Jesus was gentle. And so, you know, with our children, for example, if they're about to um, put their hand on a hot stove, we're going to call out urgently. We're, we're going we're to be right there. We're going to jump right away. And, and, and that's a little, it's a little bit different approach than, say, they're um, being selfish with their Legos, for example, or something like that. You know, in one sense, you can, and well, sometimes you can have more time. You can, um, you can go about it a, a little bit different. And other times, you just got to be very direct uh, and very assertive, but still in the spirit of gentleness. So we can do either one of those in the spirit of gentleness right there. And gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. It requires the presence of the Spirit to practice. So we won't be able to do this by our own strength, by our own efforts. It's going to take the Holy Spirit in us to be able to live this out right here. Um, so Paul, I believe, is not referring just to a gentle spirit. Because you can have a person, as far as their personality, they can come across as very gentle. But that's not necessarily an evidence of the Holy Spirit. That could just be their personality. So Paul is referring back to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So some of you may not, from a personality sense, be naturally gentle. But it's the work of the Spirit in you that produces that gentleness. So we never want to think that my personality is fixed. I'm just who I am. I can't change. Uh, the Spirit allows even our personalities to change. So you can be gentle in your approach, even if you're maybe not naturally dispositioned that way. So gentleness uh, can't be taught in the sense of knowing intellectual truth. So, I mean, I could have this whole board filled here. Um, I could give you a bunch of books to read on gentleness. But without the work of the Spirit... It's not going to change anything. Okay, so we're dependent on the spirit to produce that gentleness in us. All right. So next, Paul says um, he says, in a spirit of gentleness, um, keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. So why is Paul concerned that we could also be tempted? What's he getting at there? We're sinners. We're sinners. Yeah. Yeah. But looking at ourselves and the sin that is in our life. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. How many of you have ever thought that? You've seen somebody do something and thought to yourself, how absolutely ridiculous. I would never do anything like that. Yeah. And that's the evidence of pride right there that we think that we're actually that good that that thing wouldn't happen to us, that we ourselves wouldn't fall into that. sin versus the little sins. And I think that in our in our flesh we often forget that in 
in God's eyes, they're all big, mm -hmm. right? There, there are no big and little sins, right? The things that we we consider big and little is because we've placed a different value on them. God sees them all the same, mm -hmm. and so when we look at you know someone else's sin and we place a value on it, we often forget that in God's eyes, our little sin is mm -hmm. every bit as big as any of the other sins, and and need to be reminded of that mm -hmm. so. yeah very good well, yeah that brings up a good, a good scripture Matthew 7 verses 1 to 6 Jesus talks about the what in our own eye and what's he say in our brother's eye so why does he use that language what if what they did was really worse than what we did why, why, is, he, why is it a log in our eye and a speck in theirs Because it's our sin, right? It's always worse when it's our sin. I mean, it's not at some level. It's not what they did. It's what we have done. I wonder here in Galatians also some um, warning. It can be exhausting carrying other people's burdens and caring for them, and we are often more open to temptation when we are spent giving to other people. Mm -hmm. and less on guard against our own stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Speaking of a mom with various age levels of kids, like when they're having issues and I'm trying to deal with them fighting with each other, and it's easy for me to get angry as well. And so then I start sinning while I'm trying to deal with all of the sin that's going on in the house, you know? <laughs> so I end up falling into the same thing. And then it goes back to, you know, you saying you like it when somebody points out your sin, then my kids turn it up. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? You know, so then it just goes round and round. <laughs> Playing on to that, like, burdens, I think it's real easy to fall into the temptation of even, like, and worry and possibly, like, even losing faith and God taking care of it all in the moment. Yeah. can lead, lead us to believe that we're better, that we're superior, um, that we're not vulnerable to that same temptation right there. And so Paul's warning is to, to stay on guard, to realize that any of us could fall into that too. So without, apart from the Spirit of God working in us, apart from God's grace, any of us could be in that exact same situation. So burden bearing is not easy. There's nothing easy about this one another. Uh, in verse 2, um, Paul goes into that. He says, bear one another's burdens right there. So by burdens, he's talking about something that's cumbersome, something that's difficult. Uh, the same word was used by um, Jesus when he called his disciples to bear their own cross. So Luke 14, 27. It's also used in the same uh, context as Jesus bearing his own cross. 
John 19:17. So Paul is, is directly going back to the, the same word that's talking about cross-bearing. So if anybody's here thinking, burden-bearing, oh, that's no problem. I've got some time on my schedule to do that. I'll just, I'll just, that'll be no problem. No, I mean, he's, he's really referring to this is going to be hard work. Bearing a burden is going to be, it's going to be weighty. It's going to be difficult. So that's a good, a good mindset to come uh, into it as we think about it. So why do you think burden bearing is difficult? Why do you think that's difficult for us? something um, does happen to someone in the church, let's let's just broaden the context of this a little bit more. Say someone loses a loved one, that in the uh, immediate days, weeks, they feel the loving presence of that community, but then as time goes on, that sort of disappears, even though it's not necessarily that that burden has changed form. Um, but it's, it's easier to get involved initially, and then as there's a realization this is not going to end quickly, this is going to take a while, this is going to be a process, you really lose people along the way right there. So this is more of a marathon than it is a sprint. So burden bearing, it's this idea of taking on something with a heavy load to the point where it creates a challenge for the one bearing it. Um, so it's not easy or convenient, it's not an easy or convenient task. And I think it's interesting to know that burden bearing was a task for slaves. So this would have been pretty shocking for Paul to tell the believers here, you're to take on the role of a slave. They would have been like, what? Bear burdens? That's, that's not my job here. But as Christians, we don't have that exemption right there. Um, so Paul has reminded them that they're no longer slaves to the law, but who are we slaves to? Christ, yep. Mm -hmm. And even to one another. So our mindset is we're coming to serve each other, not to be served. So Jesus, uh, Jesus calls his followers to have the role of a servant. to Not to come to be served, but to come to serve. So notice here uh, in verse 2 when he says, bear one another's burdens right there. Um, he just doesn't say simply bear other people's burdens. He says bear one another's burdens. Okay, and that's important because of this. How many of you find it easier to help somebody else to take on somebody else's burden than to allow people to take on yours? Would anybody say that that's easier? Okay, for the rest of you, maybe, maybe not. 
but I think that is a challenge. Um, I think many of us like to serve and we like to help other people. So if there's an opportunity to somehow bear their burdens, we're glad to step in there. But there can be this difficulty in opening ourselves up to allow other people to help with ours. So even even for my own life, I remember a time when I was uh, had a broken leg one time, and um, other people offered to bring food and, and come help with some things. And you know, there's part of me that didn't want that. No, I'm fine. I can hobble around. Uh, I can I can get that. But that wasn't good. It didn't allow the church as a whole to use their spiritual gift. So burden bearing takes humility, right there. So the point is, all of us have a burden that other people can be helping to bear, at least one, and all of us can be bearing the burdens of somebody else. And when it comes to the assignment I gave you, that's part of it, to identify burdens that you have that other people can help shoulder, and then looking for burdens that other people have that you can shoulder. So it goes both ways. Um, in verses 3 to 5, uh, Paul is talking, telling them not to be overconfident. So he's telling them not to think that they are something right there. So pride is a great danger. Um, and back in the ancient world, back in Paul's time, um, they had a struggle. It wasn't so much with accumulating material goods, but it would have been um, accumulating honor. Accumulating honor. So they didn't have money like we have money right here. So when, when you're in a culture that doesn't have the same kind of finances, there are other ways to accumulate wealth. And so for this culture that Paul's writing to, you accumulated wealth through accumulating honor. And Paul is, um, Paul is going after that. So if you were in a higher status, uh, burden bearing could seem very shameful. Who am I? Who am I to think that I would need to bear someone else's burden? That, that, is beyond, that is below me. That is beneath me. And so Paul really challenges that notion. So he's going up against the world system right there. So we've talked a little bit uh, in verses 3 and 4. We've gotten to that about the danger of thinking too highly of ourselves. We've talked about pride. Um, so in these last few minutes here... I'd like to focus on one particular challenge to burden bearing that some of you may have been thinking. And uh, what's the difference between loving someone by helping them bear their burden and enabling them and not bearing their share? Okay, so what's the difference between loving somebody versus enabling somebody? What are your thoughts on that? to what their trajectory is are they making improvements or bearing some of these things on their own or are we allowing them to maintain at a level where it's all somebody else's responsibility or even decreasing their own responsibility mm -hmm. yeah at no point should you come in to share some yeah So there's many situations, um, especially with addictions, uh, you know, families that are really scared and involved with that, or maybe you're a parent and you have um, adult children, uh, and 
And sometimes that can be uh, a challenge right there. They're, they're in a place in life where um, maybe they, they don't have a job and you know maybe some things and they want to come home and live with you. What's that look like? How do you bear their burden while not enabling them? Um, so there could be so many examples that we could talk about of the challenges that we run into with this, right? And it's, it's pretty much all over. So just pretty much know that when you go to bear other people's burdens, at some point, you're going to be wrestling with this question. What does it look like to help them bear that burden, but not to the expense of, I'm not allowing them, or, or they're not fulfilling what God has called them to do right there. And there's not a uh, simple thing that we can, you know, there's not a one-size-fits-all approach that we can utilize for that. That requires wisdom, wisdom from the Spirit, wisdom from God's community, and uh, help, help, help from other people to be able to, to figure this out right there. So, uh, let's take a look at uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.14. This contains some errors that some people make. So 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Can I get someone to read that verse, please? that people could make in, in burden-bearing uh, would be to mix some of those up right there. So what happens if you encourage the idol? Hey, you're doing great in life. I, I think you're a little, you know, you seem to be a little discouraged right here. Man, keep, keep at it. You're doing a wonderful job right there. Does, does that help them? What happens um, if you uh, admonish the faint-hearted? So they're, they're very discouraged, they're in a very challenging place right there, and you're really laying it on them. Come on, man, you gotta step it up here. Uh, you are just slacking off really bad. Let's go, come on, what's your problem? What does that do to them? Mm -hmm. Or what happens if... Um, with the weak, right there, it, and you could you could look at all of those different categories right there. You know, if you admonish the weak, so we can end up hurting people if we're not careful. Um, so part of enabling people would be to allow them to continue in that particular category. For example, um, the idle, those who are not fulfilling the responsibilities that God has given. If there's not uh, accountability, if there's not consequences, if there's not correction involved with that, it doesn't actually help them in the long run. It hurts them. So those verses I gave you in there, um, Luke uh, 2, 41 to 52, John 2, 1 to 11, and Mark 3, 20 uh, to 24, those are examples of Jesus telling people no without blame shifting. And so I would encourage you to read through those and see Jesus' response. Because sometimes we can end up hurting people and not a lot and not really bearing their burdens well by refusing to tell them no. 
And so Jesus is, he's able to tell people no for the right reasons. Jesus is able to, uh, Jesus does things in the right reasons. Uh, and there's a lot we can learn from that right there. So I'd like to pick back up with you on those verses right there to see what um, insights you learned uh, from those particular things. Uh, you know, the next time we take a look at that. But what I want you to see right there is, uh, obviously we don't have time in this setting to talk about what all enabling looks like. Um, but we often struggle with telling people no. And so part of burden bearing is going to, at some point, be telling them no. And so how do you do that in a loving way? Those, those biblical examples right there can be really helpful. But let's end with this, okay? What are some ways in which we can practically bear one another's burdens? Let's think about that specifically and practically. As you've been listening to this, what are some things that are starting to come to your mind? I guess I find it difficult to imagine what that looks like without knowing the situation. I mean, there's so many different types of burdens mm -hmm. that people might be suffering under. Mm -hmm. So I just have to have a more concrete or specific idea of what it is uh -huh. that, that the burden is before I really can conjure up a lot of images of what it looks like. Uh -huh. some things to do this week and that would be looking and identifying burdens in your own life that other people can help to bear and then looking around you you're right we won't know until we look around us and that requires some intentionality so my hope is that this week look around the immediate circle that god has placed you in maybe it's family maybe it's life group maybe it's your immediate circle here at church what burdens can you identify and then the challenge would be to start to put into action some of those things so for example oh i know this person in my life group who is going to have surgery coming up or uh okay what can, what can we do for that or i know this uh, person in the church who um lost their spouse uh, a year ago what could i do with that or i know this person uh who you know just kind of struggles with some things around the home what could i do with that so that that would be my encouragement and uh, that, like you said, that really involves just getting to know people, listening, and observing. Okay. Well, are there any um, last-minute uh, thoughts or questions? Okay. We will um, pick back up next week.
continuing on to another one another. Uh, but thank you for coming, and I hope you have a blessed day.